the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. American football is a tremendous source of entertainment and a key part of our culture. But we were reminded again this week of the extreme danger the game poses to those who play. Today, we're going to talk about the state of the game from a health and safety perspective, yes, but also from a cultural one. What are we to think about big-time football? And is it time that we retire this joyous, dangerous sport from our entertainment menus? That's all next on Detroit Today. But right now, the news from NPR. Today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've decided to join. Before we get started today, I want to mark an anniversary that's happening right now. In 2015, on January 5th, I hosted my very first show here at WDET as part of the team on Detroit Today. That's eight years. Now that I have been doing this and there is almost no other part of my day that gives me as much excitement and insight and thrill as hosting these conversations with this community that we've built over the last eight years. So thank you to everyone who listens. Thank you to the wonderful staff that we have here at Detroit today who do so much of the work that you get to take part in and uh, listen to each day. And of course, thank you to Detroit, uh, my home, where I could only uh, do a show like this. There's really no other city where I feel like we could have this kind of dialogue and insight about the things that, uh, that I care so much about. The American relationship with football is really troubled right now. And yeah, that's the right word. Relationship. Football isn't just a sport or a hobby. It's an integral and complicated part of our lives. It's something that brings joy and excitement to so many of us. But it's also something that carries profound health and safety risks for those who play. And the economics of big-time football, both at the college and the professional level, well, they prevent us with even more worry. The the price that so many young men, often poor, mostly black, pay with their bodies for the sport in a business that is run by some of the wealthiest, mostly white men and women in our society. The truth is, most of us, I think, don't really know what to do with football, whether to love it or to ditch it. It's easy to get caught up in the revelry of football. Think of last November when the Michigan Wolverines played the Ohio State Buckeyes in Columbus and almost a record number of people all over the country wanted to see who was going to win. And of course, I was one of the people absolutely glued to the television during that game. But then there are these reminders, near constant now, of the other side of football. And they give us occasion, more often than not, to really think about what's wrong, what's really wrong with our football obsession. And whether there's anything at all that can really redeem or even justify its continued existence. And so I, like everyone else I know, was very much aware of the hit that sent Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin to the hospital on Monday night. And if you think about it, that's a really, really uh, cleansed way of describing what happened. The truth is that that hit stopped Hamlin's breathing 
he essentially died twice on the field and had to be resuscitated. It stopped the game entirely. And again, gives us that pause that we get all the time from football. Brings back the question of the ethics of football and the NFL. Essentially, what do we make of our hunger for this blood sport? Why do we love it so much? How's the NFL handling what happened to DeMar Hamlin, and how is that organization's popularity going to change over time because of things like this? And finally, of course, should we just be looking for other ways to connect with each other than through a sport that costs people so much? Not in money, but in life. That's where we want to begin the conversation today. We want to talk about football and the health and safety risks that attend playing football. But we also want to talk about our culture and our obsession with this sport. Look, I'm as guilty as anybody else of not being able to just walk away and say, I I can't watch this anymore. Why is that so hard? How come more of us can't do it? How come there aren't more demands to really reform football in a way that might make it less of an ethical dilemma? We want to hear from you, of course, during the hour. Give us a call and tell us what you make of what happened to DeMar Hamlin on Monday night. But also tell us how you're handling football. Do you watch Do you enjoy it? Do you think about these complicated other issues that creep onto the football field? Or are you someone who's been able to walk away from it? Do you not watch? Do you not pay attention when it comes on the news, on the sportscast? Do you not watch ESPN as much as I do, getting all the details about football and contracts and all of the things that keep us riveted in the fall in this country. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you in the conversation that way. We've also got a great guest with us to discuss all of this. Patrick Ruby is the deputy editor at Washingtonian Magazine. He is a communications consultant and author of the Real Sports Newsletter. He has covered a variety of sports stories for a number of news outlets. Patrick, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So I, I want to start with uh, your reaction to what's happening right now in the world of professional football. I've seen more people uh, who are deeply involved with the sport really questioning uh, what role it plays in our lives and and whether it's even safe to be playing football and for us to be watching it. You're somebody who has spent a good part of your life watching and writing about about football. Uh, What is your take on the state of the game at this point, not just the game itself, but the role that the game plays in our lives and in our culture? Well, that's a a really broad question um, and a really good one. Uh, I'm going to try to break off a small piece of that, which is sort of where we are right now, sort of in the wake of what happened on Monday night uh, and the kind of questioning you see, the ethical dilemma you just talked about, uh, people's reaction to what happened on the field, uh, which was in real time, it was grisly, it was terrifying. Um, I think that there's, you know, and I'm, I'm going to speak from personal experience here. I'm a longtime sports journalist, uh, used to love football, I used to watch it regularly, like most people growing up, covered it professionally. Uh, and then about 10 years ago, I started in my line of work, 
covering specifically the issue of brain damage in football. Mm -hmm. I'm sure everybody remembers that was when it was starting to become a very prominent thing. We were learning a lot more about chronic traumatic encephalopathy, CTE, and other types of brain damage, injury, and disease that can result uh, from getting hit in the head repeatedly. Uh, and there was a moment, and I think it's continued, where a lot of us started to look at football a little differently, started to question it differently. Um, and as I reported on that, you know, two things occurred to me. One, this is a very old sort of debate, an old sort of thing to be grappling with. This goes back to the very beginnings of the sport. It has always been a damaging and violent sport that takes a real human cost out of the people who play it. And every time that cost is put in front of the audience, the rest of us, the fans, the people who enjoy it as entertainment, uh, we have to reckon with it. So in some ways, this is a cycle that continues over and over again. And we can get into that in a little bit. Uh, but secondly, on that personal level, with specifically the brain damage, in my reporting, I wasn't just reading about this. It wasn't just abstract to me. I was going out and meeting people who had actual brain damage, their families, their children, their wives. I was seeing how it affected their lives. I was meeting the families of people who committed suicide arguably out of the kind of brain damage that they had received from the sport. Uh, I had a firsthand seat, you know, to the pain and suffering mm -hmm. that the sport was causing in a way that you don't get when you're reading about the newspaper or even seeing an injury on TV. There was no level of abstraction for me. Uh, and pers again, personally, this led me to a place where I, about 10 years ago, stopped watching football. Now, I'll watch it sometimes if it's for my job. I'll pay attention to it somewhat for my job because I do a lot of sports writing. I sort of have to be aware. And also I was covering still all the off-field issues. So I still had to pay attention to what's happening on the field. But as an entertainment thing, as something I could just sit down and enjoy, that was gone for me. Mm. I lost that. I could no longer enjoy it. That's why I stopped. I'd like to say that I was taking some sort of really, you know, high and mighty ethical stance. And I guess my ethics personally played into it. But ultimately it was like, I can't enjoy this. So I'm going to stop. This actually makes me uncomfortable. This makes me feel bad instead of feeling good, which I think is kind of the calculation for most fans and most people that watch entertainment. And so I think for a lot of people, what we saw the other night, at least for a moment, forced them into that same place of, wait a second, is this actually enjoyable for me? Or is this brutal? Is this something I don't want? I'm not entertained by anymore. And... If you, I mean, I'm I'm amazed that you were able to do that. First of all, I, it's something I have not been able to achieve. A few years ago, I did decide that I was not going to watch professional football anymore, <laughs> uh, and that was less about the health risks than it was about. The, the the way that the owners were behaving mm -hmm. with regard to players and 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 their consciences and and things like that, but I have to be honest, I I couldn't maintain it, and I, I am better I think about uh, the way in which I watch and and I mm -hmm. watch it more sparingly than I did before, but I I haven't been able to walk away. Can you talk about whether? you feel like you lost something when you were able to walk away from football? Sure. Yeah, I can talk about that. I mean, look, this is something I've thought, again, I continue to cover the sport and really dove in harder to all these on-field issues. So when you talk about being dissatisfied with the way the owners treat the players, if you look at college football, you want to be dissatisfied about the way that these schools rip these players off economically mm -hmm. as well. Um, you could talk about the high school and youth level and the, just the complete lack of like proper uh, medical personnel and coach training and like having any sort of standardized safety stuff and whether, you know, six-year-olds should even be in helmets hitting each other in the head. You know, any level you look at football, there's a lot of reasons if you really start digging into the off-field stuff to question whether you want to watch and support it. Right. So I don't blame anyone for getting to that place at all. But like you said, it also has this incredibly magnetic pull. Um, it is ultimately, I mean, I think there's two things. One, look, for a lot of people, it is just a very entertaining sport, a very entertaining game for a lot of reasons. There's a, you know, there's the level of strategy and tactics and, and you know, there's so many people on the field and so many different things happening and you can really 
you could really get into the sport from that level, mm-hmm. right? The sort that you could get into it from the level of fantasy football and gambling. Like there's a million ways to gamble in the sport. We know that gambling is very compelling for people. You know, that's that's a way to get into it. You can get into the off-field stuff, the trades, the the drafting. I mean, look how big of an industry that is, right? There's that that sort of level of being the fantasy GM that people love. Um, but then the on-field prop itself, right? I mean, there is something about the actual the the very violence we're talking about, the very violence that causes the damage that can cause us to turn away, I think, honestly, is the reason we watch. I, I, I think anyone who says that's not part of, or even the core of the appeal of American football is lying to themselves and to anyone else they're talking to. <laughs> like, I once read an article that said, you know, perverted danger is the essence of football. And it was talking about, you know, the thrill of that moment where someone jukes a tackler or just misses a big hit. I don't think that's true. I think danger, danger. I think I experience danger. I think the damage is actually part of the essence of football. I mean, it is a violent sport about taking ground by knocking the other guy down before they knock you down, essentially, um, causing more damage to the opponent than they cause to you. That is really the essence of the game, because otherwise we would just play flag football. We'd get rid of all this tackling. We'd get rid of all these pads and helmets. We wouldn't need any of that. But the truth is nobody would watch that or very few people would watch that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that's, and look, and look, by the way, I mean, football is not our only violent sport that people love. We have boxing, we have MMA, we have uh, elements of violence in hockey. We, I mean, that's, we had gladiator. I mean, people make that cliche comparison all the time to Roman gladiator. It's a little trite, but like we have long had that in human history. We do, there's a part of us that does have an appetite for violence as entertainment, at least to some level, to some degree. And I think for football, probably for other sports too, there's kind of a Goldilocks zone of like, you want to have just enough violence that like gets people excited and thrilled and they want to watch it. But if the violence and damage goes too far, and I can't exactly draw that line for every individual person, but if it, when it goes too far, then suddenly you have a proc that people don't want to watch. And football has done an incredible job, better than boxing, if you look at American history, of sort of keeping itself in that Goldilocks zone. Now, I have some reasons, I have some ideas about why that's the case, but I think that that is kind of the core to its appeal. Just enough violence. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking with Patrick Ruby. He's a deputy editor of Washingtonian Magazine, somebody who has covered uh, professional sports and college sports for a really long time. We're talking about the NFL and professional football and football in general, the place it holds in our lives and in our culture, and whether we should be doing more questioning about the place that it holds. Uh, We were reminded again this week of the profound health and safety risks that football players take for our entertainment when DeMar Hamlin, uh, a player for the Buffalo Bills, uh, essentially died uh, in the middle of a game, had to be resuscitated twice on the field. Uh, The good news is that doctors, according to the reports, say uh, he's doing well recovering. But Imagine the long road he has ahead. Imagine the effects on his life in the long term as a result of this kind of injury. Uh, Is this worth the kind of entertainment that we draw uh, from the sport? We want to hear from you during this conversation as well. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We can work you into the conversation that way. Let's start today with Glenn, who is in LaSalle Park here in the city of Detroit. Glenn, welcome to the show. Good morning. Good morning, Stephen. Thank you uh, for the show and taking my call. Um, Stephen, I was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and grew up in the 50s and 60s there. And when you're born in Wisconsin, (laughs) your blood runs green, the Green Bay Packers. And uh, I watched that team, and it was just amazing. After that, I was able to get season tickets to Green Bay, but moved to Detroit, but uh, kept my season tickets in Green Bay. But a few years, I gave those tickets up um, because of exactly what you're talking about. I didn't want to support what was going on. Um, I'm still watching it a little bit now, and it is an amazing game now. 
where the the uh, the, the the ball gets hiked to the quarterback and everybody runs all over the place. <laughs> it looks like nothing is going on or everything is going on. All of a sudden, the quarterback throws the ball way up in the air, like throwing it to nowhere. And then in just a few seconds, a receiver, a defender, and the football all converge in this spot on the field that they were all expecting to happen. It's an amazing game. When I watch the receivers catch a ball near the sideline, and you see those toes hit the ground, and then you see the rest of the body hit the ground. To me, it's like ballet. It is a beauty uh, that these very strong men yeah. are able to execute. So, so but Glenn, I'm, so Glenn, I want to ask about your life after after you gave up your your Green Bay tickets. Uh, do you watch football at all? And do you miss it? Do you feel like you've lost something? Well, I I I do I don't watch nearly as much football as I used to. Um I just I watch it for the beauty of the plays and uh also I'm kind of excited about what's going on here in Detroit right now with the Lions. Yeah, a team getting so better. I'm pretty enthusiastic about that. That's quite a change. Um but I I I I just think we need to make changes. You know they talked about Helmets, soft helmets, mm-hmm. uh, being much better at absorbing shock than the hard helmets now, but the league wouldn't accept those soft mm. helmets. Yeah, Glenn, so I, I think it's got to change. Glenn, I really, improve. I really appreciate the call and uh, and the insight, and I think there are a lot of people, including me, uh, who can relate to a lot of the things you're saying, at both at the practical level. And at the emotional level, uh, the, 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 the way in which this game uh, makes us feel uh, part of a competition and, and, and observers of uh, that beauty that you were talking about. Okay, we need to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Patrick Ruby of Washingtonian Magazine. Also continue with you on the phones and on social. Give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number. Tell us how you're dealing with football these days. Are you watching? Are you worried? Are you maybe walking away from the sport because of things like what we saw uh, this Monday, uh, Monday Night Football, DeMar Hamlin seriously injured uh, while playing football? Uh, we'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm glad you've decided to join us. We're talking today about football in the wake of a horrific injury sustained by a Buffalo Bills player during Monday Night Football this week. DeMar Hamlin uh, twice had to be resuscitated on the field after a particularly violent hit. It uh, caught everyone's attention, of course, but also stopped the game. But it's giving us pause, I think, uh, as a culture, uh, again, uh, to think about why we love this game so much. Why are we so enthralled with a game as entertainment that requires such risk of the participants, uh, that balance, that tension uh, between the thrill we get from football and the danger it poses. It's something we've been thinking about and talking about for a long time, but it does seem somewhat futilely cyclical. In other words, uh, something like this will happen and we will all stop and think about it and talk about it for a while. But within a few weeks, maybe a few months, we're back to rooting for football the same way we were before and not putting the pressure that we might on the people who manage and own the game to actually 
really think about ways to make it safer. Uh, we, of course, also uh, end up thinking about the broader cultural implications of football, the economics of it, the exploitation that's involved with so much of it. Uh, are there ways that we could do this differently? Or is this a sport that we all ought to be walking away from, thinking about uh, just not participating in any way. There have been a lot of really interesting reactions to what happened uh, to this Buffalo Bills player on Monday from uh, a number of, of people who are both involved and not involved in the sport. But there was one reaction that really caught my attention. Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, uh, somebody I admire as a player, but don't generally admire too much as a human being. I think that he's somebody uh, that I often find myself on the other side of, uh, of the coin when, when he sort of talks about things other than football. And, and, and of course, that takes nothing away from his incredible skill on the field. But I saw him talking about what happened to DeMar Hamlin a few days ago, and I have not been able to get out of my mind the way he describes the way he reacted to it. And in particular, uh, one word that he used to analogize American football. There's one thread that connects all of us, right? And it's that we know that we are the modern day gladiators, right? We are providing entertainment for the masses and doing something we love, but we're also putting our bodies and our future health on the line. I think we all feel the same way, whether you, you know, you're currently playing or, or, or done playing, like you're shook about this because you just never thought you would see something like this on the field. It's bad enough when you see a guy getting carted off, right? That's like, that messes with you. Or you see a guy take a really bad concussive shot, right? And you're like, man, like, I don't want that to be me. Like, am I going to be able to have my cognitive function that I want at 50 and 60? And, and, and what, am I, what kind of risk am I really setting myself up for? But this kid's 24 years old, right? You know, this really, it, it f***ed me up last night. Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, talking about what happened to DeMar Hamlin on Monday Night Football and using a word that, that for me, evokes all kinds of emotions. He said that uh, American football players are modern gladiators, uh, an analogy to a time when, uh, when sport involved people killing each other, taking incredible risk. While uh, while fans cheered, uh, Patrick Ruby. I, the other thing that that strikes me about this, of course, is that uh, that Aaron Rodgers is a player. I mean, this is somebody who's played not a little bit, but a very long time in the league. Has had his own, you know, health challenges from time to time, from from injury. In fact, uh, he's sat out some of this season because he was injured. That comparison to to the gladiators, though, I mean, it really it really puts in perspective, I guess, the mindset that these guys have to have when they step onto that field, especially at the professional level, um, the risk that they're taking, and 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 I wonder if enough of them came to think of it that way, or to speak more frankly about the fact that they feel that way, if things. If things would change, if there would be more pressure uh, on those who own and manage football teams to to take this health and safety issue more seriously, maybe. I mean, I think I uh, look. So, there's a lot to unpack here. I think first of all, your your immediate question: um, if players spoke more about the risks of the game, with the people in charge of the game making the most money from the game, uh, part with more of that money to make the game safer for the players. Uh, I think that that's a pretty dubious proposition. I mean, everything we've seen in history at every level of game shows that the people at the top are much more concerned about making money and keeping the game profitable than they are sharing that profits in the name of safety. They'll do as little as they have to do in order to keep the peace and keep the money rolling in, but usually never more. Um, so I think, yeah, players speaking out could help, but if players were to actually take action and or fans were to take action with them, and by action, I mean 
withdrawing, withholding their services or their patronage. Mm-hmm. So players don't play unless the conditions are better or fans don't watch or attend. That would make changes overnight. Otherwise, the changes you see are going to be extremely incremental and hard fought, and they're going to take place behind the scenes and CBA negotiations and you know, when Congress occasionally gets involved with NCA football and things like that, right? It's going to happen the way it's always happened historically. Um, but I think that I wanted to go back to something Roger said in that clip mm-hmm. that I think is extremely important here. He said, never thought you would see something like this. I think that word see is absolutely key to understanding why we're having the reaction we're all having this week and also why as you said, pretty soon we're all going to go back to normal and keep watching football. Mm. Um, it's really important, like when there are wars, there's a reason they don't show frontline combat and deaths on TV news. There's a reason why the Pentagon doesn't want that to happen. Um, yes, some of it is for reasons of taste and like not wanting to traumatize viewers. But a lot of it is because you don't want people to think differently about the war effort. Um, there's an enormous difference between knowing risk knowing that there's damage happening and actually seeing the damage that this game causes to the people who play it. It is very important for football to stay in that Goldilocks zone we talked about by drastically limiting the amount of damage the rest of us and even the players themselves who experience it actually see. If you think about the suffering in football, it mostly takes place off the field. It takes place away from the audience. This is true for sprains and strains and bruises and tears and internal bleeding. You know, the stuff that we as fans consider minor that we look at, oh, is this guy going to be able to play? Does this affect my fantasy lineup? And by the way, these are injuries that any of us had in our daily office lives. We'd be, we, we wouldn't be in the office. We'd be at home, like in a lot of pain, like really feeling terrible. So like, these are also serious damage, but we don't even consider it that. And we don't see that either. It's only true for brain injuries. You know, one of the reasons that, football can kind of skate on how much damage it does to the brain is that you don't see that at all. And a lot of times you don't even see the effect of those injuries until after these players are out of the game and retired. Mm-hmm. And the NFL, by the way, it does work to make sure that we don't see these things. I'm reminded years ago, some of you out there will remember uh, the last game uh, RG3 played here. Mm-hmm. I live in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. I covered that playoff game uh, when he probably shouldn't have been out there. He was kind of running around on one leg. And of course, he got hurt. Again, he got hit in that leg, got hurt. And I remember them taking him into one of those sideline tents to do injury tests. Again, you're hiding what's actually happening there. Yeah. Um, and, and I think just, you know, the difference with Monday night and sometimes with these other, like, huge injuries that cause us to reassess is that we saw it. We saw the hit. We saw a player collapse. And uh, th- then we learned very quickly, probably his heart stopped, right? Like, I think that's why all the players were, as Roger said, shook in a way that maybe they're not usually, you know, no amount of desensitization, which is what we all kind of practice around football, really can protect you from seeing that stuff happen in real time. Yeah. And I, I just I just think that's really important. And I'll, one last point on that. If you remember, this is an off field thing, but remember Ray Rice mm-hmm. striking his wife. When that video came out, it wasn't new news. That had already been reported, but when we saw that punch, mm-hmm. everything about that story changed and everything about how we felt about domestic violence and the NFL and sports and what should be done. It became a national debate. It became a national thing overnight. And there was nothing new except the imagery. Yeah, yeah. And that idea of the power of of seeing, uh, and I guess I've not thought a whole lot of, about that before you just said it, that we don't see the pain and the suffering and the, the rehabilitation and the difficulty of, uh, you know, maintaining your body for, you know, either the college or the, the professional football season. Um, we don't get to see that a whole lot. And, and we certainly don't see enough, I think, uh, either of the long-term effects, right? Uh, football mm-hmm. players who are 10, 20 years out of, uh, out of the game and whose lives um, are still really affected by, by the physical toll uh, or even the mental toll that, uh, that the game takes. 
Again, no, not at all. Yeah, go ahead. I, I just want to add one last thing. I mean, and, and, and the other thing is, another way that, like I said, football is sort of good at hiding these things is that when we, even when we do see some of that, at least with active players, it is often a very carefully cultivated picture of that that we see that fits into these narratives of sort of, this is one more piece of adversity that these heroic players have to overcome mm -hmm. to get back out there and entertain us, right? Think of how many times you've read injury stories that are essentially focused on the rehabilitation process and how a player pushed through and got back to help the team. They don't dwell too much on like the misery and the pain of actually being hurt, right? It's framed as another example of heroism. And look, there is something heroic about that. There's something very admirable about that. There's something I think we all can take from the idea of, you know, getting knocked down and getting back up. And I don't think that's a bad thing, but that is how basically all of us, including the players, generally tend to process the damage the game causes. And that makes it more palatable. Yeah, yeah. Again, 313-577-1019. That's uh, the number here on the phones if you want to join the conversation. 313-577-1019. Let's go next to Peggy in Berkeley. Peggy, welcome to the show. Hello. Um, I think that I watched that game. I saw him collapse. And I know when you get hit someplace in your chest, it can make your heart stop. Mm -hmm. That would be the same for everybody. But there's no more violent sport than hockey. It's the most violent sport. And everybody watches it. And boxing, people, they like boxing. And people just smack each other in the heads. And I just, I just can't, I, I don't know why that is, but if, if there, there should probably be more helmet to helmet uh, calls, and that's pretty serious. But other than that, it's just a sport it, like hockey. We have to, if we take eliminate football, we got to eliminate hockey. That's mm. even more violent. <laughs> Boy, you're you're really cutting into everybody's entertainment diet there. Uh, Peggy, not just losing football, but also losing hockey. But I, I can't argue. I mean, I think uh, if you're going to start talking about violence in sports or danger in sports, hockey, hockey is right up there uh, with football. I really appreciate the call and the comments. Let's go next to Leslie in Hazel Park. Leslie, what's on your mind? Hi. Um, it's a bit of a story, but uh, at any rate, when I was quite young, my eldest brother one of four children, four boys that my mother had. Um, something happened to him. He either had a bad cold or something, and he was on the football team. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the, his replacement was killed on the field. Oh no! And yes, and that colored my my perception of it. That and my mother, she like was vehemently against any of her the rest of her boys having to go and 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 play football again mm -hmm. if you want to do it you raise your own money to get your own equipment etc and that and the fact that frankly she couldn't afford it because there was no mail she didn't have education and we always lived on the edge anyhow and then as i grew older and having moved so many times, so I never could connect with any school, to let, let alone to um, to get you know, you know the prospect of uniforms. And it's and I know the word is way overused, and it has been, but it's you're watching a modern day scene of gladiators, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they're there to, I mean, the the damage they do themselves, and to me, I look at it as, okay, you made a great deal of money, but in, when you're 50 and 60 years old, yeah. what good is that? What's money? it going to do for you? What's the quality yeah. of your life yeah. going to be for the rest of your life? Leslie, that is, such a, that is such a key question, and it comes to my mind all the time when I see – players who are now, you know, like I said, uh, 10 or 20 years out of the game and how different they are physically or, or mentally. And I'll just give two examples. Uh, Deion Sanders, who was uh, one of my favorite players of 
of all time, is now coaching uh, college football. And if you watch him, if you watch him walking, if you watch him trying to stand on the sidelines, if you watch him sometimes uh, in a cart, uh, it's really obvious how how damaged his body is uh, from having played uh, football for as long as he did at as high of a level he as he did. I mean, this was someone whose job was to to when he was on defense at least to hit uh, other people hard enough to, to tackle them and to knock the ball loose if possible. Uh, and he did that really well. Uh, you can see that I think uh, in the way he walks, in the way he kind of negotiates the world now. The other example I think of is one that people don't talk a lot about, but but Herschel Walker, who was running to be uh, uh, in the Senate from, from, from Georgia last year, there, there is no way, I think, to, to, to sort of interpret the mental lapses that he had, uh, the, 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 the seemingly not knowing sometimes where he was or what, what he was talking about or what question he was answering as, as being unrelated to his football career. And I was really shocked, Patrick, that it didn't come up in the campaign, that, that maybe we were watching somebody who is suffering from uh, you know, uh, the effects of CTE or some other um, you know, mental uh, disability because brain injury because uh, of the football career he had. But this is, these are things that, that are still there around us. And uh, that, con- that consideration of how do you justify that, I think, is still, uh, it's still just a, a huge question. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, with Walker, it's an interesting point. I think that there were two conversations about that happening simultaneously. And I think that was something I think that was being talked about at sort of the level of people on the street, people mm-hmm. online, on social media, but wasn't really being talked about too much in the official media. And I think for a good reason. I mean, obviously, it's be grossly professionally irresponsible to speculate that kind of thing without sure. sort of hard evidence, you know, doctors, medical records, things like that, saying that, yes, Herschel Walker has brain damage or not. Otherwise, otherwise, you're sort of, you're doing a disservice. You're not doing your job as a reporter. Sure. It's the kind of thing that people hate about the media, right? So, but, <laughs> but on the other hand, I don't think it's an unreasonable thing for voters to be speculating about, given everything we know about the sport, what it can do to the brain, and honestly, how long Herschel Walker played the sport, how many hits he probably took, and his behavior, right? It all kind of adds up. You know, it's a two plus two probably equals four thing, but we can't be sure. Um, I do think there's something else interesting about Herschel Walker, which is how did Herschel Walker even get himself into the position of being a viable Senate candidate, given all that in the first place? And I think even his biggest backers would say, well, his football fame and the fact that he was this beloved figure in that state because of what a good football player he was was like the number one factor in him becoming a candidate, right? If he was just Herschel Walker, you know, guy who never played football, I don't think at that at that level he would have made it. I don't think he would ever been a candidate, especially with some of the mental lapses you talk about, right? Um, never say never, but it's 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 doubtful. Yeah. And the fact that there's that level of belovedness, I think, speaks to another part of like how do we justify this? Why do we keep coming back? Uh, it goes back to something Glenn, the first caller, talked about growing up in Wisconsin and loving the Packers, which is there's a real uh, football more than other sports in this country has this real like sort of network effect. Um, like, why do people why did Facebook get so popular? Well, as more people use it, more people that know them also start using it. And pretty soon everyone's using the same platform. Football is kind of similar in terms of like people you know love it and they're talking about it and they're exciting about it so that you get excited about it and then people you don't get excited, right? It's kind of like there's this huge sort of like community, interest, pride, identity factor that football has managed to really nail down America more than other sports, I would say. Um, And at every level, right? So it's not just the NFL team in your city or the college team in your town. It's the high school team in your neighborhood on Friday night. Right. 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 Like, 
Football yeah. is able to do that, and I think that that also keeps bringing people back. It does. It does. Uh, it's it's really difficult to just uh, to just walk away. Okay, we need to take another quick break. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation with Patrick Ruby of the Washingtonian, and with you on the phones and on social. Peter in Detroit, Cindy in the Cass Quarter. We'll get to you when we get back. If you want to join them, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number here on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Did you know it costs $650 per hour to operate WDET? That's a few dollars more per hour this year than last year. One big reason is that WDET now pays our interns. We're leveling the playing field for underrepresented and low-income applicants to learn journalism, podcasting, audio engineering, and more. I'm Diane Sanders, and I coordinate the WDET Internship Program. We're training the next generation of young people for the future news and information workforce. Financial help from General Motors, Verizon, the Polk Foundation, and the Clarence and Jack Himmel Foundation helped us jumpstart our internship program. You can help with a tax-deductible gift to WDET. Learn more at WDET.org slash interns. Today on 101.9 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm glad you've joined us. Our guest today is Patrick Ruby. He's a deputy editor at Washingtonian Magazine. He's author of Real Sports Newsletter and has reported on sports and football for a number of different outlets. We're talking about the NFL and football at all levels, how dangerous it is. A reminder of that this week on Monday Night Football when a player for the Buffalo Bills, DeMar Hamlin, was hit and his heart stopped at least two times while on the field. It stopped the game and gives us all pause again to think about this sport the role it plays in our lives and our culture. I want to hear from you on the phones and on social. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit today. Let's go next to Peter in Detroit. Detroit. Peter, what's on your mind? Uh, hey there, uh, Stephen. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Um, I'm a Lions season ticket holder. Uh-huh. And I have been since... Uh, the Lions went 0-16, and they, and, and they dropped the price of season tickets, and they came within... <laughs> you got a bargain, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they really were. <laughs> and uh, I like going to the game. It's one of the few sporting events I can get my wife to go with me to. Uh, I think one of the draws of football is that they're, you know, of all the, the organized sports that, that, that people go to, there are the least number of games. There are only 16. There are only eight of them at home. Uh, 10 if you count the preseason games. And you can get to all of those, and you can be a participant. Uh, there's something about cheering on your team that that feels good. You know, you and I both went to, to uh, all-boys Catholic high schools where they taught us that it was our responsibility as, as the fans to cheer our team on to victory, and that's kind of hard to shake. And when you get to a football game in a stadium, if you're cheering loud enough and you make a team – uh, 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 make a, a, a mistake that backs them up, you feel that. We did that. And that's part of what watching the game is. But there is that dissonance of thinking, you know, guys get hurt doing this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my, my season ticket, even though they cost less, is paying for some of that. It's facilitating. So, Peter, do you think sometimes about dropping that season ticket package? You know, I, I have struggled with that, and uh, it's it, I like it unto the feeling that you have of, like, should I give? I live near 8 Mile and Woodward, and there are people that live up underneath that bridge that goes over Woodward, uh, mm-hmm. on Woodward that goes over 8 Mile. Mm-hmm. And every day I drive past people who live under that bridge, and I think, am I suppo- should I give these people something? Mm-hmm. Should, I, should I give them some food? You know, it, 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 do I have a responsibility to them? And I look at my my having season tickets 
in that same in way. That do, same should, way. Should I give yeah. this up? You know, do I have a? Do, what is my personal responsibility in the health and safety of these guys who are entertaining me? Yeah, Peter, uh, th- that is an amazing uh, perspective to have on on all of this, and I love the analogy uh, to people you see living under a bridge in in our community and what responsibility we have. Uh, I really appreciate the call. Patrick Ruby, we only got about a minute and a half left, but I want to give you a chance to talk about what what opportunity there might actually be for what happened to DeMar Hamlin to, to make change. Is this something that, is this a, a, a moment that does send the whole conversation in a different direction? Uh, I think it could be. And very quickly, there's, there's a couple of changes I think that would be really great to see in football. They all cost money, so I don't know if you will see them, mm-hmm. you know, at the at the professional level, at that top level. Look, we're lucky. There's a lot of money there for you know in-game, on-field medical care. Uh, but what I think we all would like and what players need is a lot more care after they're done playing, a lot more coverage. They need to not have to go and fight to get the care they deserve. They don't have to fight with the NFL Absolutely. concussion settlement or the NFL injury system. You know, there's a lot of problems with that I've reported on could be a lot more generous and a lot better. And I think the NFL owes that much to its workers. Uh, At the college level, you know, I think there's a problem with a lot of times the medical care is under the thumb of the coach, under the thumb of the program. It needs to be independent. It needs to look out for the players first and look at them as people and students and not just uh, parts that need to get back on the field. And finally, at the youth and high school level, uh, we're just badly understaffed. There's no money there. Like, Imagine if DeMar Hamlin's hit happened in a high school game mm. or, God forbid, a youth game. I do not think he would be alive right now, sadly to say. Uh, and there's a the question of if you can't have some more of that necessary and basic medical care there on the field, whether it's a practice or a game, and in most cases we don't have that at the youth at high school level, then maybe you shouldn't be in the business of playing youth or high school football. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Patrick Ruby of Washingtonian Magazine. It was really great to have you here with us to talk about the NFL and football in general. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to talk with MacArthur Award winner Ruben Miller about his recent award, his studies on the criminal justice system, and what he sees as better alternatives to what we have now. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.